Welcome to the Four Seasons of Epic Fantasy, Season 1, Episode 8, Why We Write Fantasy, Part 2, also Writing Evil. Continuing our conversation about why do we write fantasy, um, I'm going to put the counter question there, uh, why not um, literary fiction or contemporary fiction or what I call, you know, boring single mom in New York, uh, trying to get a job, the end, um, stories, um, and <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and we're gonna, we're gonna have some, some back and forth on, on, uh, what literary fiction actually means, um, but I don't write that stuff about normal, everyday lives, because it just, for me, it just bores me to tears, like, I already I, live it every day, so, right, yeah, I, I, that's my fun. life, and, um, I don't, I don't want to read a book to just read someone else's life. If I'm going to do that, I'd probably do nonfiction, which I usually read if it has something to do with physics or history. Um, Can I be a mediator on that? There's, there's a great divide between the people that like um, genre fiction versus the people that like the, the mom goes to New York and single woman gets a job style stories. I don't and know why it's always some... a mom going to New York. But... <laughs> As an example, right? Uh, or, or a young 20-something, you know, having a, you know... And both, well, both sides of the party say, I don't like the other side because it's boring or because I can't relate to it. I think that there is a thin bridge between the two. And that's the what we've, we've been discussing is character development, the base needs and wants, and the connection between the characters. I can, I've met many people that read what you would consider boring literary fiction or historical fiction or biographies even and yet they find it absolutely fascinating because of the character development or the character's desire or wants or needs even if the story gets nowhere there's no action in it the entire plot is just a woman wanting to buy this old victorian mansion and she's been living in an apartment all her life and it's like a 400 page book about her getting from point a to point b to get that mansion. That's it. There's no great action scenes or anything like that. And yet someone can find that absolutely fascinating and relate to it. I think that, yeah, that's a really good point. And you can have um, genre fiction, like fantasy or sci-fi, where you can get a good number of readers because of the exploring of a world, the world building. But you're not going to, like, you know, really hit people in the feels unless you really dig deep into that, you know, human condition and uh, human need, human emotion. And so, like, a, a sci-fi fantasy novel might have a great plot, but, like, how's the character feeling right now? I don't know. We have to run somewhere and shoot something. Uh, we don't have time for that. Uh, and sometimes some some writing groups will be like, oh, that bit where that character is, like, self-reflecting on the pain of the prior experience they just had, you should trim that. Or you should chop that out. Whereas the... You know, the fiction that really sinks in is the one that, that does that, that too. Go ahead, Nick. Well, well, this, this is exactly where uh, I, I feel like sometimes I'm the outsider in this group because when it, when it comes to fantasy and sci-fi and this like extensive world exploring, oftentimes these are the books that I put down in the first couple chapters. I usually give, I, as a rule, I give every book about 50 pages. And I figure if if they haven't gripped me at some point with a character in that point, you know, at that at that moment, then I'm pretty safe to say they're probably never going to get around to it. 
Because, um, <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it's right at the beginning. You can tell, is this a scenario that I, is this a person I can relate to? Is this somebody who draws me in and I can, I can resonate with? Do I even care what happens yeah, to them? It's like, this is, I mean, at that point, you should know what they want. And so it's like, if, they, if I don't care about what they want, why am I reading? Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but for, for me, it's often when I run into, and I've seen it, like you said, in, in writers groups especially, where people will try to write the awesome thing. And uh, and the the next big explosion or the you know the the cool space alien or something like that that comes in it's like this is great and I, and you know I can watch these blasters firing all day, but if there's no substance to it, and I, I say substance I, I realize I'm this is an opinion based kind of thing it's subjective so everybody's going to have a different uh, place on the spectrum here but if there's no substance to why this uh, situation is significant then I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I, I mentioned earlier before the uh, podcast began, one of the first books that actually pulled me into reading in general, which is why I think I've always had a, a soft spot for fantasy, is um, Dragon's Bane. And I can't remember the author off the top of my head right now, but it was a fen- phenomenal book because in this story, it's the, the, the main quest is guy comes, you know, collects this old dragon hunter or somebody who had managed to slay a dragon and gets him out of retirement and says, come help us, we have a new one. And, uh, and he, said, he reluctantly agrees, and the whole story is about his wife, who is a witch, dealing with the fact that she has a child, dealing with the fact that her husband's going back to work and could likely die, um, and dealing with how to support him, but at the same time take care of the home. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it turned into such a more complicated situation than just, I'm going to go slay a dragon because that's cool. It's about a family being separated. It was about a family. I mean, it was, and, and that's something I can relate to. That's and I, awesome. loved, I loved the fact that it was in the backdrop of this, this fantastical moment. Because that was that captured my imagination, but without that intimate um, substance for me, I would have fallen off. Like I, I've I've, wa- I've read too many stories about people who just go and the kingdom needs you, go slay this dragon, and I'm like, like every other kingdom, like there's there's nothing unique or, or setting this apart that makes me feel like it's it's um, I don't know that I'm going to come out, and maybe that's that's I have to qualify that. When I read something, I definitely I, I err on the side of less escapism, and I want to come out on the other side with some new insight. I want mm-hmm. something to have changed in me. So, I think you can have both. You, you can, can, yeah. Um, and for me, it's not about learning a moral lesson mm-hmm. or having you know this new visionary way of seeing things, mm-hmm. or you know a new having been taught some new psychological or philosophical. Uh, term or, or lesson. For me, it's about the emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Um, the books that resonate with me the most throughout my life, and the books that I always tend to go back and reread over and over and over and over again, are either because I have developed such an emotional connection to the story itself that it becomes a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like a symbol, maybe? No, not a symbol. I would say like. It's, it's become a historic part of me. Like, I'm always craving to go back to that same story. Uh, it's, a, it's a nostalgia, mm-hmm. basically, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to say. It's, it's such an emotional connection that it develops into a nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Where you, you know, you can just be walking down the street, going to work, and you're like, ah, I miss that character. I miss that emotional connection. I'm going to go reread that story. And even though you know exactly how it's going to happen, What's going to happen in that story? You know exactly who's going to die, who's going to live, who's going to succeed, who's going to fail. You were still 
like rereading it and emotionally connected and excited about it all over again. And that resonance, that, that I don't know if it eventually develops into nostalgia down the years down the road, that resonance means something, whether it's literary fiction, fantasy, genre, whatever, whatever it is. And if you can develop that as a writer, oh my gosh, you're going to make great money. You're going to develop great fans that will constantly crave your writing style. Exactly. Yeah. That is a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah. That is a very difficult thing to do. So, the way you do that... No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, talking about... Now, now uh, and then the reason I say I don't write literary fiction is because people usually think of a specific type of thing when they say literary fiction. And that's what I don't like to write. Now, taking those... What's wrong? Holy shit, talking oh, about... Oh, gee whiz. Well, that's disgusting. <laughs> There's a spider right here. I just wanted a hug. Ew. I thought you got a goop spider next to you. Oh, here, let's move yeah, your bag so, yeah, don't get that in my bag, so the chunks don't fall in your bag. For all of our <laughs> listeners, you don't get to see, but the spider has been splattered sufficiently. Yeah, it was about it to crawl on my shoulder and give me a kiss, so uh, <laughs> I saw your, Benjamin's I saw your luscious love. I saw my like luscious... Web. Hey, I could build a home in there, and he never noticed. Um, ooh, that's a horror story. Yeah, oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're literally that, getting shivers. The luscious locks, home of the many spiders we and need to, babies. We need to stop. We need to stop. Luscious spiders. They develop luscious locks. Looks like in, a, in, a, in Garfield. You know, Garfield's like, John, there's a spider in the bathroom. It's really hairy. It's using your comb. <laughs> and then he smashes it. Um, so, back to literary fiction and genre fiction. Um, there's an agent that I really like, um, that I would love to be my agent, um, named Donald Moss. That's a mass spelled with two A's. Uh, anyway, he's written a couple books about taking the best from genre fiction, aka cool worlds and plots that don't suck, and taking the best from literary fiction, which is great character-focused emotional writing and putting them together. Um, one of his books about that, which is the best book on writing you will ever read, called The Emotional Craft of Fiction. I don't know why I'm pointing it to the uh, microphone like it's a camera or something. Um, but um, th there's a... So talking about how do you do that, that's what this whole book is about. The book that I'm writing right now... Um, so I wrote the outline, and then I used the exercises in this book to revise the outline. And then I wrote the first draft, and then... I'm currently about halfway through using this book again to revise the draft. Um, the best way to explain this book is like it like helps um, turn up the saturation on your like your themes, your emotions, your things like that. So like like I'm going to share a couple examples really fast, talking about how you bring these things together. So this is kind of not just about why we write fantasy, but I guess it's about writing emotionally impactful literature. Um, so like, here's a, from one chapter, um, called Good Deeds. Think about your protagonist. What is one good thing your protagonist finds exceptionally hard to do? Work backwards, backward, to make that virtuous act even more difficult. Later on, later on perhaps following a catharsis, find a way for your protagonist to at last, to do at last that good deed. Build a secondary character that is selfish, self-absorbed, self-pitying, put upon, wounded, or treated unjustly. What is the selfless act this character would never be expected or called upon to do? Make it happen. Um, 
<laughs> Which character has a justified grudge against another? Build the reasons for it. Then enact forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Which character... Let's see. Um, so it's like stuff like that. Um, another really cool part is when he talks about like getting to know your characters and he's like, okay, let's say that I'm talking to you. Can you fill out this questionnaire? Date of birth, hometown, elementary school, college major, occupation, date of marriage, other residents, other marriages, religious affiliations, if applicable, hobbies, awards. Now we're like old friends, right? No. And I actually, these next questions I do with all of my characters. It says, here's how you really get to know someone. What's the first thing you remember making you truly happy? When and how did you discover that life isn't fair? Who first broke your heart? What accomplishment proved to you that you can do anything? When did you decide you had to grow up? What's been your biggest sacrifice? What was the most romantic night of your life? Whom have you loved beyond all reason? What disgusts you? What food can't you resist? If you ran the world, what's the first thing you would change? How did you find or reject God? Hmm. Interesting. Those are, like... Intimate questions. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love those kind of style questions. Um, to throw an example from out of my book. Um, the main... Well, one of the main baddies, Malbol, he is just the most cruel, ruthless human being you could possibly imagine. I mean, he is... He's hungry for violence and gore. The more pain he can inflict on someone, the better. He's the epitome of evil. And there's no life after death, so I'm going to kill everyone and, in the world. To, and to delve into that, his main reason behind that is he has not been able to find any answers for why he exists, for why life is. He doesn't believe there are gods, he or he doesn't <laughs> believe that there is anything of purpose to life. And his frustrations for finding a lack of purpose to his own life or to life in general sends him on this philosophical campaign to cause as much pain and death to everyone else as possible. And he views it as a righteous thing because he says, since I have not been able to find any answers, since I have not been able to find any purpose to existence, there is no purpose or answers to existence. And thus, by me killing and causing as much pain as possible, I am <laughs> a savior to these people. To I, am, I, am, I am taking <laughs> them out of the picture for a picture that has no meaning to it. So I'm doing them a favor by killing them. I am, you know, in his skewed perspective, he, he thinks that he is doing something righteous and holy. He views himself as a savior figure to the world. And he understands that everyone views him as a monster, but he doesn't care because he believes he sees beyond them. You know, and it's, it all delves from the sheer fact of his frustrations of not getting any answers or, or knowing the purpose of his own life. Well, in the beginning of, like, I think it was, like, the first book, there's a few times where he says, um, he's like, okay, I'm going to do a horrible thing. Hey, gods, can do anything about it? No, that's what I thought. And he does it. And but the thing is, it's like he's disappointed that they don't do anything. He he's is. like he, he's, he's. It's like C.S. Lewis after his mom died when he was a kid. He was like, for years, I was angry at God for not existing. <laughs> well, in, in, in book two, in book two, and to give some spoilers, you know, at one point, one of the great good protagonist characters basically calls him out on it. 
out loud in front of this big, there's about, they're about to have this huge war battle, this huge massive siege battle. And Malbal's standing on top of this wall, and he's just like, just Robert, Robert. being very evil and, and all imposing and imposing his alpha, his alpha male attitude, right? <laughs> and the main, the, one of the main good guy characters, he's standing at the bottom of this wall, you know, about to lay siege to this, this city, and he calls him out on, on the reason why he does those things. And the guy, he has no comeback to it. The main bad guy is like, he's like completely kind of flabbergasted <laughs> a bit about it. He gets so pissed, and this war commences. But, and even though I don't show a lot of this, this character development openly and like I'm opening the doors wide this character this character is a very closed off character he's an evil character you don't want to show this constant humanity to him otherwise you develop so much sympathy for him that you're like I kind of root for him I do that with the secondary bad guy character which is a woman but um, you get a, you, you see these these hints of it and I, I would like to, to develop and become a better writer you know diving deeper into that kind of stuff down the road but it brings up a really good point with what you were saying Nick, with what you were saying Thomas with um asking the right kind of questions to your character, and regardless of what kind of genre you're writing in, or non-genre, um, you can still develop a strong narrative and strong protagonist-antagonist by having these connective questions. Yeah. So. And to, um, an to answer that question, though, uh, what would you do if you ruled the world? And what was your first decision? Uh -huh. My first decision would be change who rules the world. Like, just getting that out there. <laughs> yeah. Or changing how the world is ruled. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Just a second. We're, we're all like, wait, where are kinda, we? Kinda we're kind of... Between to, the two, yeah. Kind of to, to ease into the next topic. Um, and changing the world. Mm. Um, there's tropes that <laughs> happen in fantasy that are constantly the same. What changes can we do to our worlds that get rid of those tropes or turn these tropes on their heads? Because fantasy stories, um, and I do this with my fantasy story in a way, you have the main character who is an orphaned boy who is destined for great things and he must go on this epic quest or journey, find himself, defeat the main baddie, and become the hero of the world. Mm -hmm. And that is a, one of the most common fantasy tropes. Yep. And a lot of people like that. A lot of people like to have the same story we told. They like the... I'm a nobody. I can be a somebody. Right. Yeah. They're, they're comfortable with the, with the same, same story being retold. But you can still tweak it and change it a little bit on its head mm -hmm. to make it unique and still resonate with all of your readers as a whole. Well, I think it really boils, uh, for, for me, it boils down to, I mean, the way you just outlined it, this little formula of here's the thing, bup, 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 all these have been played out in many, many stories. If that is the story, then it's probably going to fall flat, you know, for me. Um, but if there is some, if there's more to that story, it can have those, all those elements, but there's like 20 other pieces between them you know, uh, characters wrestling with uh, challenges that are thrown their way or something, but it, it doesn't just follow that one quick formula, um, then there's, there's a higher probability. I won't say it's going to make it successful, because, goodness, you, you know, when you start writing, you're going to realize that a lot of what you write is a miss. And it's only, you know, a few of the, the, the things that you write are, are hit. And it's usually not the things that you plan for either. No, and a lot of it's surprise. And, and I think that's, yep. that's really, like... They say there's some luck in this industry, and goodness, there is. Because when you're sitting down, and, and this is why, you know, when I when I say I'm a, 
more of a plotter, I have an idea of exactly where this is going, but more often than not, the best parts of the story happen spontaneously, in the middle of it, without realizing it, and the character just suddenly says, that's not what I would want, or that's not how I would act, or that's, you know, and, and, they, and they divert, even if they don't throw off the entire plot, they divert some of it, and it's just enough to give it that feeling of uniqueness, or that feeling of uh, relatability or, or, or character that turns what would be just a, a, a stale formula into a very real experience. Well, and there's uh, reasons that elements of those formula are used. So, in fact, more important than learning, you know, that here's journey. Mr. Campbell's a hack. Anyway. Um, oh, we disagree journey. on that one. <laughs> I know, I'm like, I like that. I'm like, all the hero's journey person. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I, will, I will say he's not a god, but, like, he, he, he's he, also he, not a writer. But he's, what? I mean, he wrote a book about <laughs> stuff he read. Well, he knows a lot about writing. Yes, so. but we, we can we can fight on this yeah, we'll part a little later. <laughs> and the reason I say that is I've actually, um, and I'll actually use an analogy to explain this. Um, in the book, The Magicians, or the second one, the third one? Anyway, in Magical Fantasy Land, there's this, the best swordsman in the world. And at first you think he's like, they have this competition to figure out who's the best. And there's these people doing different styles and da-da-da-da-da. And he's just kind of quietly rising up through the ranks. And he, like, does the exact same thing as whoever he's fighting but then beats them. And the last person, um, she's doing this very specific type of martial art. And then he does it exactly the same. And then he starts changing it. And then he starts doing crazy different things. And he wins. And he explains it as, in our reality, all martial arts are about, you know, momentum, balance, gravity, mass, speed, all these things. And he's like, all these different martial arts that exist, they're just a bunch of specific tactics that they chose. Whereas for me, I'm going down to the roots about why those certain things work. And that makes so many other windows open for me. Like... They're like, oh, here, I'm going to do this specific move. And he's like, oh, well, if you do that, um, if I were using this martial art, I'd do this. But, in fact, you've got momentum moving this way, and I can, you know, do that or whatever. So the, the moral of that story <laughs> is that in my head, these different plot outlines, you know, save the cat, the hero's journey, the, the three act, the four act, the five act, the seven and a half act. Um... <laughs> Those are all, like, different constructs made from the same base rules that can be used in a lot of different ways. And so, if you start to understand, like, this will sound cheesy, but the physics, the storytelling physics about why those structures work when they do and when they don't, your, 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 your windows blow wide open and you can be like, holy cow, you know, at this point, you know, Hero's Journey says I should do X, mm. And that's the reason it works there. But here, I have the opportunity to do this crazy thing a different way. Um, and so that's that's kind of my... I, and there my, I, my I told you, like, we're probably not on a, a different page here. Because, yeah, because, different paragraph, maybe. Yeah, yeah different paragraph. Because, because really it comes down to, I mean, when, when somebody is writing... So Joseph Campbell looked at a, a many, many stories across the spectrum and found common threads and put it into a formula. He said, this seems to be a frequent... Frequent elements yeah. in, a, in a sequence. It's quite descriptive. And it's, and it's good. I mean, if you yeah. look at it, it's like that tells you a lot about what a story is. But um, 
what, what it doesn't necessarily take into account to or, or what writers sometimes trip up on is that idea that if this is how it worked for somebody else, then this formula must work across the board. And that's not the case. It's just the fact that the formula existed for somebody else because they took the elements and put it together in a way and that it, worked. And it worked for them. And it, and it worked. You know, and, and you'll, you'll notice the more you, you get to know other writers and everything, that everybody has this different approach. And, and for me, I'm, I'm on book three now in, in the, my first debut series. And, uh, and I'm realizing that what I started with, I was heavily influenced by Sanderson. Um, in how I started to plot that first book and work out that first book. And I was really grateful for that because he had a lot of great ideas. Um, but then as I went into book two, I realized, ah, uh, I need to tweak some of this. Like, the way I approach this has to change. It's not, it's not quite there. And then now with the third one, it's evolving even more. And, uh, and I think you have to, you can't abandon the process of learning your own uh, process. Finding your own voice. Yeah, I guess I guess that's a way. I feel like your voice own can be, narrative voice. Yeah, yeah. Voice, voice can be. You, you just have to. Voice you have to voice. give yourself some chance to. Grow. Yeah, voice. Voice. That's another episode. That's another. Yeah. I do not even know what voice really means. Nobody that's, knows. It's what crazy. Really means. So. Usually, what it means is you have a good. You have good snark. <laughs> yeah. that's what I notice when I notice people are more likely to say that's got a great voice is when if it's it got snark. some if good snark. snark that's fair enough that's kind of what I experienced in college too so I was sitting there and listening to all this and when I was staring at you because I saw the spider behind you and, uh, <laughs> and I was sitting there and my mind was going um, I, how do I save this spider <laughs> you don't, you don't. You don't. I was staring at it and I was like Go back up, spider. Go back up. Uh, I was it didn't thinking get all your telepathic messages. They didn't get my messages. And then you notice, what are you looking at? <laughs> I'm staring at the spider going... Your you own better. reason to try to save it causes demise. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. I, I actually caused the spider to... You meet to your destiny hit. on the path oh, you take yeah. to avoid it. And I can kind of be like, yeah, like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, in there. Oh, oh I, I love the concept of prophecy and destiny in books. Oh, I because I like, to, yeah. I like turning it on its head. In book one... Main character meets this ancient wise sage lady who's totally like a pervert, basically, which makes it really funny. A really funny scene. She's just like talking about how she was trying to dance with him, but she was like a vision in his head, so he was just dancing by himself. And she's like talking about how his butt was gyrating, looked like two sour apples in a sack. Oh, and, no but worries. um, she was just laughing, and he's just like, "You're not a, you're not like a wise old lady. You're like a perverted old sage." And she's like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> but anyway, so, so she's like, "Well, I'm supposed to kind of give you a prophecy and kind of give you a, give you a destiny, and I'll give you something." But to be honest, you can but just I just wanted to walk, dance with you first, right? Sorry, but, and she's like. Well, to be honest, you can just walk right out of here and die of constipation. You know, I I, I can give you like a, a, a possible future, but you could be a farmer, you could be a great hero, you could die of constipation, you could grow to see yourself become the villain. You know, you can choke on a sandwich. You can choke on a sandwich, and I'm like, I, I love the concept of okay, here's a prophecy, but this is just one of many possibilities. Good luck. That's actually something I kind of address in uh, my novels too, is because there's like this huge prophecy that these twelve young people come from Earth over to this world over here. And then as you, thought, as you go on, you realize, like you find out like well the original prophecy was never written down. It's been reinterpreted over and over and over again. And now like you have like these twelve kids are like well what the freak are we doing here then? <laughs> I was just had, had were we, there was no purpose there, at all. And that's exactly <laughs> so there was a prophecy. And that's like and that's like what we've been playing telephone exactly. It's like one of the uh, one of the older characters points out who he's like there never really was a prophecy. You create your own prophecy. 
And here's the thing: yeah. how much is of that prophecy was in the, the original prophecy giver? How much of that prophecy was influenced by by personal emotional uh, decisions? Like, is that prophecy really hundred percent accurate? Like, great hero, you will rise to defeat this great evil. It's like, well, that's the great evil that you perceived. What if this great hero rises and defeats your you you and your people? You know, it's like, you know, it's it's. I kind of like turning, you know, tropes, as we've been discussing, and turning them on their head a little bit. And, like, what you just said kind of also goes back to um, my book, because it was interpreted that these 12, like, young, like, teenagers would be the people who would be saving this world. But once again, they never, I was never in doubt. We don't know if it was supposed to be 12 young people. It might have been, like, one old man. or <laughs> But the people who decided to take it, Upon themselves to enact the prophecy, chose twelve young people because teenagers are impressionable and we can mold them to be what we want them to be. I, I enjoy that because yeah. in my book five, which I almost never talk about, um, the there is a small prophecy among hobgoblins that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds it, like a book title: a prophecy among hobgoblins. <laughs> yes, and and it's about a um, a blonde-haired child will save their kingdom. And it's a human, and it drives them crazy. They hate the fact that it's a human. And, and there's so many blonde ones. And the way I resolve <laughs> it is incredibly funny in my mind. And but it is. It, it's it, what it's a see. hobgoblin child with a with a human wig. No, no, no. <laughs> that would be fantastic. It, it's actually it's a hobgoblin wearing a human suit. Sorry. Okay. That got dark. I'll just say it's it's the uh, the hero of the story, which at this point you're not sure if he's the hero or the villain. Uh, has been transformed at this point into a little human child with blonde hair. And this hobgoblin finds this out, that it's not a, this person, and it really rocks his world, because uh, he was expecting a little kid to come and save the day, and it's not. It's, it's this person that's been transformed uh, to look, and actually does do it without knowing the prophecy, and then leaves. And it's really kind of fun. Uh, and, and this hobgoblin's left with... Uh, I don't know what to think about this prophecy now because, <laughs> because I now know yeah, everything I thought that this was this was built on is is not how it was meant to be, and uh, it's like the spider uh, going back to it is. I was like, please do something, get get away, <laughs> do something, and instead I, I the the prophecy was fulfilled that it was going to get killed as soon as someone noticed it uh, outside <laughs> of me. And, uh, <laughs> So um, we, we've actually we've touched on a, on a bunch of different things today. Talking about tropes, talking about fantasy and literary fiction and things like that. And um, I think one of the biggest things we've, we've been talking about is um, like you know emotion and understanding people and things like that. And that kind of brings us to our to our, our last topic. Go ahead, Fiona. Understanding community being the thing that drew me to fantasy in the first place. Yeah, so talk a little bit more about that. You, you said understanding community, understanding like evil and people. And was, there a specific, like was there a specific book that, that did that for you? More so than any other? A series. A series, which one? All of Robin Hobb's books. Um, I, it was the first time I read real high fantasy. And there was an amount of knowledge and information that I had never been presented with before, and worlds without end. Effectively, <laughs> that's awesome. It's like completely new, like new worlds, new cultures, new societies, and how they all work together. Or like, um, so what kind of stick out to you, like from from Robin Hobb's books? 
There was a side of people that I didn't understand. It was an evolution. You know, you get the stories before you reach real high fantasy that are just addressing right and wrong. But real high fantasy addresses that evil isn't clear Mm -hmm. or blatant and it is complex. This stems from personal flaws. It's not just I'm evil for evil's sake. I like catching cities on fire and seeing people scream or die. It's like there's a purpose behind it. In addition to the fact that heroes, it's not that they are burdened with a glorious purpose and (laughs) (laughs) they will therefore do all right. (laughs) I hate reading heroes that just... Are perfect. I think, are I, think perfect. I think it's great. You're you're right on with. There are varying levels of evil. I mean, there is in most stories you're going to find that what you thought was the real evil may not necessarily be that evil. I, I, it may have been something completely unrelated. And the evil uh, is not always the bad guy. Right. That's <laughs> <Something laughs> so true. I saw an, an epic meme uh, just a little while ago about. This, this young kid in school getting bullied by a bunch of, like, a peer group. You know, all these friends getting together and kicking him while he's down. Then suddenly he rises up and he says, I have the power now! I am going to enact revenge against all those who hurt me! And then suddenly the same group of peers come together. They're a little older now. And they're like, yeah, but we're going to beat you with the power of friendship. And they all beat him up again. It's part of the trope of villainy, right? Exactly. Like the villain, and, 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 and I think the caption was something like, and the real problem was never addressed. You know, like, yeah. like there's something more complex than just like, oh, this is just a bad guy being bad guy for bad guy's sake, you know? So um, um, my book that I'm working on right now um, kind of plays with that. I have multiple kinds of evil in that because I do sincerely believe that there are people out there who are legitimately, fully and knowingly evil. They exist. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be evil. And, and, and they have a place in story. I have yeah. Like, there is, you have to yeah. acknowledge there's a place for just evil for evil's sake in stories. So and, not not just, and not just I was abused. Or, or not even quite that. I mean, well, like, because yeah. even psychopath. That almost sounds like mental abuse a mental from illness, past, mental like abuse that, from right. the past makes them evil. Um, I believe that there can be people who are born and raised in the greatest of circumstances and decide, I'm going to be a monster because that's what I want. So the main villain in book one, uh, which is the main character's grandma, um, she is like that. But how do you make your reader relate to that bad guy? Or are you purposefully trying to make them... S- because so we all relate to that bad guy at no, all, and then you no. don't really care. Here's the thing: is we can all relate to selfishness. Mm-hmm. We can all relate to pride, yep. to me, 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 and that's kind of what she's all about. So you're trying to make like, it evil without being such a foreign thing that you. Yeah, but but like okay, so like she's from this race of star people that live in the stars and have star powers and such, and part of uh, her problem is her dad lived to be like 12,000 years old and she feels that she's like getting close to dying at like five and she's like this is stupid like why can't I live forever or for a long time or why can't I da 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 and I really wanted to write somebody who was chose like despite all the cards being for them being a good person chose to be bad like 
when these star people, when they die, what they're supposed to do is, you know, go all supernova so that all their material can be there for the next generation to pick up and, you know... So would you say that she's people. basing all of her decisions off of fear? No. So it should be more selfishness. Not a, it's selfishness. Well, it's, it's like the tangle. Uh, uh, she kidnaps the baby in the movie mm. uh, just so that she can live longer uh, and live forever. And I think uh, talking about relating to pure evil... We can understand selfishness. Mm-hmm. We're all, we everyone's a little bit selfish. Well, I'm trying to think of this in terms of books that I've read, characters that were just pure evil for evil's sake. For example, Bellatrix Lestrange oh, in the yeah. Harry Potter series. She's, oh, um, I don't she's, know. she's, she's, delightful. she's I, I, lo- <laughs> I love her pure evilness, but it's, it comes, stems from, from this blind devotion towards Voldemort. Then you have the one that well, the really, side really is sadistic, or the pure, pure evilest of them all, is, what's her bucket, the one lady that always has cats. and Oh, Dolores Umbridge. Dolores Umbridge. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, she is. She's the most She's evil She's probably one of the one. most hated characters yeah. ever written in a book. Yep. Universally hated. Love to hate her. And he She's loves to hate her. She's literally the worst. And why do we love to hate her? Let's delve into that. She's why sadistic. She's made Harry carve... Like cut in his own hand. She's like the evil nightmare teacher that we've all been afraid of in junior high school. Like she's so like uniquely evil. It's like I I don't know. She's not this bad guy with a black cloak coming down from the sky to annihilate armies. No, you can write a whole book. I mean, uh, you can write a whole book, which they kind of did, where she is just just the only bad guy. And you, <laughs> like she doesn't like fit like like you said that stereotypical like bad guy feel like she mm-hmm. has all the kitten like decorations she wears pink she like clears her throat really daintily well and you see what happens when she um, you know she's gone from Hogwarts and she's in the ministry which has been taken over by the bad guys she's like oh you're not really like the half bloods oh yeah you're not really a wizard like you're a liar face we're gonna kick you out like she's you see secretary. like you you can see like she's not just like. The mean teacher, like if she had all the power, she'd be worse. She's she'd, she'd be, be worse than Voldemort. She'd be worse than Voldemort. <laughs> she's, she's like that that realization of. I mean, how many how many kids have come home from school? We've probably all done it and said, ah, so and so, so and so is out to get me. Like this this teacher is has it has it out she, for me. Like she was written to to be real that there is someone out to get you like that. Yep. I love the concept of of that. Um, Who derive. And I think this is something else we can all relate to, and I think Bellatrix is a great example. I mean, you know, what's it called? Schadenfreude? The joy you get from other people's pain? Um, Or even, we've all had times, except for maybe Jeremy, um, where we've caused somebody else pain and enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we want to admit it, but, you know... I I just wanted to return to, to the original topic of evil, and that is... At varying levels, uh, I, you were able to point out just in Harry Potter three or four different levels of evil. I think most high fantasy or most, most really good stories have those, have exactly what you were talking about, Fiona, where there are different levels of, of, you may hate this one worse, but this one might be the ultimate evil, or this one over here, or this one, or your hero in my book might be the ultimate evil. Um, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to spoil anything. And the and the worst the worst <laughs> evil might be the person who maybe has good goals but wants to take away everyone's freedom to choose right. to do it. That's right. Like versus the one that wants to just destroy everything. Yes. 
He has a story that talks about that. It's I very. Have, I, have, I have several. <laughs> and that's. I think we can. That's learn we can, we, yeah, philosophy. I think we can Sorry. keep discussing this in more detail about character development or, or good guys that have flaws. They're not these perfect. Uh, white knights that come Good down and, and, and eradicate all evil, and they're just their their sole purpose is for nobility's sake to to save the world. Um, but we can discuss more of that in a, in a different topic. But I think I think that was a good podcast. I think we've covered a we've lot kind of covered of today. Yeah. Good stuff. Yay! So. This has been the four seasons of Epic Fantasy, Season One, Episode Eight, Why Write Fantasy, Part Two. Also, writing evil.